This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Jabba Chapman filling in for Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And today in studio, we have a returning guest, Dr. Will Selman, professor of biology at Millsaps College, and he's going to be on the program today talking about the turtles of the state. He's currently studying at the uh, Pearl River with their turtles, and he's going to talk about his findings, some of the endangered turtles of the state, and also answer any questions you may have about these cold-blooded reptiles. Also, Dr. Major is here, like I said, to answer your general pet questions, so Join the conversation this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I know we've already been talking off uh, mic. We have a lot of uh, <laughs> creature <laughs> developments, so to speak. But um, let's go ahead and see what's happening at the museum, uh, Libby, like All always. Right. Tomorrow, the Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit, of course, is still going on. And tomorrow's Fun Friday, July the 13th. They'll be talking about optical illusions from 10 to 12, and there'll be all kinds of fun activities for kids to do so they can learn more about optical illusions and then there'll be a fish feeding also and those will be going on for these i think next four fridays okay so something to help uh... just fun stuff to do yeah and i think wednesday afternoons then they're having curiosity days so you so, might want to call before you go by the museum and just it might influence what time you're going to show up because they, they are having special events on through the summer. Yeah, and if you haven't uh, been to the uh, Museum of Natural Science in a while, I encourage everybody to go out and uh, just explore, have a good time, see what's in your state. And um, we're getting toward the end of summer. It's like once 4th of July here, all the back-to-school back things start popping up at the stores and, and, and everything. So it's, it's, Isn't that uh, sad? Well, <laughs> you know, for, for parents, uh, you know, such as myself, it's not that sad. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, we it, just go ahead and get that summer fun out the way and uh, make, a, make a trip to the uh, Museum of Natural Science. Uh, Dr. Major, anything uh, happening uh, at the clinic right now? I know maybe a lot of um, uh, dogs and uh, furry friends coming in, maybe with a little heat damage, something. It's all. It's always uh, something going on. It's kind of like uh, ER about half the time, not knowing what's going to come in. We, we do take walk-ins. We try to do appointments, but certainly uh, a lot of times we get walk-ins. It's the usual summertime things. And, of course, we've had a little respite with some thunder showers and things, but remind people to... Make sure that their animals, especially the outside ones, are uh, well hydrated, plenty of water and shade to get in out of the uh, out of the sun or out of the heat. Uh, and it goes without saying that uh, our cars are deadly if uh, an animal or a child is is closed up in there for any length of time. And I would certainly say that uh, be very careful with your pets uh, this time of year from the standpoint of heat. 
we've always seen, and it seems kind of strange, but I think it has to do with conditioning. It seems like there's always more heat stroke type stuff with dogs before the 4th of July than after. And I think <laughs> it's because probably uh, they aren't used to it at that time. Remember, too, that uh, as an aside, that that asphalt gets very, very hot. If you're walking your dog on asphalt, they say the temperatures of the asphalt can reach 150 degrees, which is pretty pretty hot. And you can burn the pads. They don't have their shoes on, so you can burn those pads pretty severely if they're on that for any length of time. Yeah, and um, I guess I can take a page out of Kevin Farrell's book. And I'm not a cat person, but I do have a dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I got kind of behind on uh, her um, her flea peel. So she started Uh-oh. she started scratching, yeah, and getting getting kind of red. And we took her to the took her to the vet and got uh got that taken care of. But speak a little bit about um I guess preventative care because you don't want to be in in our situation. We sure. Well, here here in Mississippi, frankly, we should be in year round uh, flea control, uh, even though it may be cool outside. Uh, the you have eggs and larvae if a, if a dog or a cat has fleas, they're going to drop these. Uh, eggs off the pupa uh, sit there in the carpet or a sofa or wherever and bedding for the dog and can hatch out at most any time Uh, there are good flea medications that can be given uh, both oral and uh, topical some of them have had resistance build up where it's not working like it used to 10 years ago so choose carefully and talk to your veterinarian about which ones to use they range everywhere from a topical that lasts for a month uh, to a uh, oral medication that can last for up to three months. They're very effective, and uh, there are even some now that can actually repel and kill mosquitoes when the dog is outside, which is a big plus. It's not to be used as a heartworm preventive, but it certainly is an aid in that if the mosquitoes uh, approach the dog and they are repelled or die. So that's a good thing. So just routine, good care, year-round, but heartworm preventive. If you had to pick between flea control and heartworm preventive, I would pick heartworm preventive uh, just because you don't have to go through treatment for heartworms and possibly have a pet that's sick and or dies. Yeah, that is. Um, we got to treat treat our furry friends like our, like our babies. And uh, we do have a question on on the line. Uh, just want to remind everybody we're here. Um, Creature Comforts talking. Uh, well, our guest in the studio is uh, Dr. Will Selman, biology professor at Millsaps College, and he's going to be talking about the turtles of the uh, Mississippi, especially uh, in the Pearl River area. But let's go to the phone lines and let's talk to Bill from Macomb, who has a question about uh, about a cat. Uh, good morning, Bill. Uh, good morning. Go ahead with your question. Okay, my question is: uh, He seems to be having problems with one of his ears, and it's been going on for a long time. Uh, he wants to scratch it, and and I say, don't scratch it. <laughs> he won't scratch it, but uh, it's so tender or sore or something. And and I had another cat one time, and I, I mixed some honey with, with some water and then a little syringe, and shot it down there, and the cat. Took off running when I let him go, and then she stopped and looked around. And said that, that feels better, <laughs> but she's gone now. And my new cat, my my, this is an old cat too. I've had it fifteen years, and he's, he's starting to lose a little weight. And he, he's having problems with that ear. When he, when you scratch him on his chin or something, he'll bring that ear to you, and he'll try to get my finger jammed down in there as far as it'll go, and he'll push on it. And he seems to enjoy that. And I, I put some honey in his ear a couple of days ago, 
and, and I don't know if that's doing anything for him or not. What what can I do about that? I don't know. It's just one ear that seemed to be right. bothering him, infected or what. I don't know. Is there uh, much it, is there much discharge from this ear? Are you seeing? Uh, uh, yeah, any, he's got some kind of discharge going on in there. Uh, okay. I don't know if it's infection or what. Uh, well, it sounds like it's probably infection, uh, especially since just the one ear is involved. Sometimes there can be an actual small growth or something like that in the ear, which can not necessarily a tumor, but a uh, papilloma, something like this, which can cause some issues. So uh, I would suggest talking to your veterinarian about it, uh, yeah. see what they can do. It probably yeah. needs to be looked at, though, because it's been going on, as you say, now for quite a while. Uh-huh. And uh, good luck with you, and uh, right. I hope well, it helps. It gets kind of expensive going to the vet, but I, I understand. I got to take care of it. But sometimes you have to do that. That's right. Thank you take so care. much. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that call, Bill. And if you want to join the conversation with uh, your pet question, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. But we do have Dr. Will Selman in the um, studio this morning. How you doing, sir? Doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having well, me. Yeah, welcome you back to the program. Um, I don't want to uh, call you. Uh, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but it's just every time I think of turtles, it's, it's I'm a '90s kid, so it's ingrained in my head. Uh, but uh, tell us about some of the research that you're doing. I know you're uh, working right now what, at the Pearl River. So our research um, at Millsaps, we have several different projects, um, mainly here around the Jackson area. Um, we're doing. I have a student, uh, honor student, that's doing surveys of some of the ponds in Lafleur's Bluff State Park, so right behind the Natural Science Museum. Uh, and she's found over last year and this year nine different species that occur in those ponds. Um, and some of these are really common species, like red-eared sliders, whereas uh, others are uncommon, like the alligator snapping turtle. She caught one of those uh, this year. Uh, some interesting animals like southern painted turtles. There are a few alligators in there. Um, so getting the alligators out of the nets can sometimes be interesting and challenging. Um, we also have uh, a box turtle project behind the Natural Science Museum. Uh, we have 10 uh, turtles that have transmitters, so we can track the animals' movements, their behaviors, what they're doing, where they're going. Five are on males and five are on females. So they have like like packs to the back. Yeah, it's it's uh, a small radio. Um, uh, it's a little transmitter. It's got a little antenna that we epoxy on the shell, and then we have a receiver, much like our receiver on our radio, that we can turn it to the tune it to the right station. Each <laughs> turtle has its own radio frequency, so we tune it to that frequency and track it down and see where we can we can find it. So it's pretty neat. We might mention to visitors, if you go on the trails in the Flores Bluff, if you see the turtles, you know, enjoy them, but don't yeah, yeah let them go on their way because they're, it, they're part of a part study. Part of a study, that's yeah. right. Uh, and we've had some really interesting movements. We've had turtles that we've found on top of the Flores Bluff right behind the museum within the last couple of weeks have migrated down the bluff into the Pearl River bottomlands. So this is really interesting behavior um, that we think may be associated with Uh, As it gets drier, the Pearl River bottomlands are still a little bit moist, so we may have movements of individuals up and down. Uh, And then we also are doing research on the Pearl River turtles. So we go out uh, during the summertime and count turtles and and what species they are. We have two species that are endemic to the Pearl River, meaning that they're only found only in the Pearl River system. That's the only place in the world, and that's the ring sawback 
and the Pearl Map Turtle. Uh, so they can be found nowhere else in the world except for the Pearl River system of Mississippi and southeast Louisiana. Wow, that's pretty unique um, to be able to say that we only have something found only here in Mississippi, and uh, you cannot find it anywhere else in the world. It's pretty. It's pretty impressive, and they're and they're really interesting turtles. The they have their their name is 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 great. They have rings on each one of their little scales on the shell, and then the top of their back looks like a circular saw blade. They have these spines, uh, and the males, you know, maybe about the size of your palm, and the females are quite a bit larger, probably ten times the weight of a male. So the females are going to be about volleyball size. So the size disparity is pretty pretty neat as well. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. And if you want to join the conversation, we're going to be talking about turtles for the uh, rest of the hour. I see we already have a few calls coming in. Uh, join the conversation, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can uh, send an email animals at mpbonline.org we'll be right back with more creature comforts right after the break we're back on creature comforts and today we're talking about the turtles of the state with uh dr will selman from mississippi college i'm java chapman here with dr troy major from a veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center here in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And if you want to join the conversation, make sure you give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Before we go to the phone lines, um, we do have Sue and Boma, so just hold on, Sue. That's my friend, so I can ask her to hold on. Um, <laughs> I did want to ask, um, you say you guys are um, studying the turtles um, at the LaFleur's Bluff uh, State Park, also in the Pearl River area. Are there any great basking sites out there? So people can see because I, I, I love to see when turtles are just it's like they're getting a nice little glow <laughs> you know it's interesting because turtles when they bask it it's not just to get a suntan they're out there to raise their body temperature because they're ectotherms so when they wake up in the morning they're cool so to get their body going get their metabolism up they need to get out on the log so they're doing that for uh, internal body temperature they're shedding scales um, they're getting rid of parasites, so leeches actually will bake off of their shell. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting. But yeah, there are there are several really good sites uh, in the Fleurs Buff. Uh, one in particular um, that I like, and and you occasionally see some alligators there too. And I call it Cypress Lake. You got, have to go around past Mays Lake, and you and there there's a little fishing area on the left side, um, and and there's a really nice log that's out there. Um, but there are also some trails that go near the Pearl River. Um, behind the Natural Science Museum that you can overlook. And there are lots of great basking logs along the, the outer banks there that you'll always see turtles on. Okay, that's a, and also that's a little tip for my photographer friends out there. You can get some some real good pictures. They're sitting still and, and, and posing. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's go to um, to the phone lines. Good morning, Sue. How are you doing? Hi, Java. How's everybody? Oh, everybody's yeah, doing fine. Uh, I, I, he, he was just speaking about something I was going to ask about. We had the coldest winter that I can remember in my lifetime last winter. And I was just wondering how, how cold would it have to be to harm these turtles? I mean, I know that they are cold-blooded creatures, but how, how low would the temperature have to be and have to stay at to really cause them harm or kill them? You know, turtles are pretty well adapted to find areas that they can overwinter in. So around here, we don't 
usually get long enough periods where they go into what we call true hibernation. They usually go into a state called overwintering, where they may go into a low metabolic state for maybe a week or so, and then the temperature warms back up, and then they come out, and they may bask. But our aquatic turtles are going to find a refuge in an area that is well oxygenated with with uh, with water, high oxygen content in the water, uh, and they're also going to look for areas that are sort of what we call thermally stable. So um, the temperature isn't going to fluctuate a lot. Um, and same thing with our terrestrial turtles, our box turtles, um, and gopher tortoises. They will find refuge underground, uh, under a log, uh, in those places to get out of that those temperatures that that could be harmful for them. Well, that's good. I love turtles. So. Oh, they're great, and, and you're down around Beaumont in the Leaf River, and there's some really nice turtles down there. Um, there's two other species very similar to the ring sawback and the pearl map turtle. In the Leaf River and Pascagoula River, we have the uh, federally threatened yellow blotch sawback that's in there. The only river system it's found in the world is the Pascagoula River and the Leaf River and some of the tributaries uh, and, and the Pascagoula map turtle. So head out to uh, Wingate Road. That's always a great place to to see those turtles basking on the logs there. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for your call, Sue, this morning. Uh, that was kind of uh, piggybacking to my next question. Some of the, I guess, the endangered uh, and threatened turtles here, I know if we have uh, turtles that are only found here in Mississippi, that we, you know, they maybe need some protection. <laughs> so we have... Um, Several spe- sea turtle species. We have five sea turtle species. So we, oh wait, we have sea turtles in Mississippi? Yes. So actually there was, um, I believe it was a Kemp's Ridley um, sea turtle that nested on one of our barrier islands recently this year. <laughs> um, so Kemp's Ridley, we have loggerhead uh, sea turtles that occasionally uh, nest on our beaches. And you may occasionally find uh, leatherback sea turtles way out, you know, off the uh, Mississippi Sound. Uh, now do they lay the eggs on the beach? So, I want to see the little babies. So some of <laughs> yeah. So some of the sea turtles will. Uh, so like kemp's and loggerheads, I know uh, nest on our beaches. Some of the other ones, um, probably not. They may just be sort of visiting our our waters. <laughs> um, so those are five of our uh, our endangered species are sea turtles, and then we have uh, the gopher tortoise, uh, which is in South Mississippi essentially from like Hattiesburg and Waynesboro South um, that they live in their, um, their tortoises. So they live on land and, and they excavate burrows that sometimes can be 30 or more feet long down into usually sandy, sandy soils. Um, and they're considered what we call a keystone species of the longleaf pine forest. So keystone species are important because all other critters depend on them. Um, so there have been over 300 different species of animals that have been found in the burrows of gopher tortoises. And without those burrows, for them to seek shelter during these hot periods during the summer or during a fire event that comes across the landscape, without those burrows, some of those other animals may not survive. So we have gopher tortoises, Alabama red belly, which occurs along the Gulf Coast and some of the freshwater marshes. And then we have two river turtles um, that I previously mentioned, the yellow blotched sawback that's in the Pascagoula and then the ring sawback that's here in the Pearl. Now you've given off us several different names of uh, different species. Is there a place, I guess, uh, I know maybe putting you on the spot online that people can go and get a good look at the various, um, you know, turtles of, of the state? We, that's a, that's a really good question. I've, I've been talking with um, Scott Rush, a professor at uh, Mississippi State, and we are 
poised to start a, a website here, hopefully within the next couple of years, that we can display some of these animals and have a Mississippi-specific website uh, and where you can find these animals. Unfortunately, not right now. <clears throat> you would have to... Um, just you get, probably, get your Googles. Yeah, get your Google out. Um, <laughs> always a good resource. Yeah. Uh, but you know what you can do? And you can go to the Natural Science really, Museum. Yeah, you can go to the Natural Science Museum and see them. But you can get the um, field guides on your phone now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have the bird field guides, and I don't have the turtle one, but now that you've said it, I guess I better go <laughs> see if I can't download the Conant version of the Peterson field guide. To and if you Google the name... Of each one, it's not as easy as just thumbing through a field guide. But if you Google the names, you'll there are bound to be some images. All oh, right, right. Don't you think? Oh, lots of lots of pet uh, and hobbyist people love <laughs> to put their their animals on display and, and okay. take photographs. Oh yeah, so. that's right. You will get into all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it's we, we, hard we, to narrow it down. Well, to we, what we, you, we, really you know, want we want to try to make yeah. try to make it easy and as comprehensive as possible. Yes. So we'll yeah. get we'll, we'll we'll get on that and we'll check back yeah. with you okay. right. and see Sounds how we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> this morning, if you just joined the program, um, I'm Java Chapman filling in for Kevin Farrell, sitting here with Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major as we talk with uh, Dr. Will Selman, biology professor at Mississippi College. He's doing some wonderful things with the turtles around the state and if you have a question one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four now we talked about some of the tur- the endangered uh what are some of the most common species of turtle like of i guess maybe i would have found in my creek or you know i actually have found a snapping turtle on the street one before Right, so. So, so snapping turtles are that that animal that everybody finds after a rain event that the yes, creeks come up exactly, and, exactly. and they're wandering about trying to find their creek. The most common turtle species that we have uh, is the red-eared slider. Of just about every farm pond, catfish pond, even in you know rivers and streams, you'll you'll find red-eared sliders. They are what we call a generalist. They will live in lots of different areas and eat lots of different things. So they're really successful and they've been introduced all over the world, um, unfortunately. Uh, so through the pet trade, um, they've gone to China and Europe and South America. So they're, they're native to here, but they're actually probably the most common turtle species in the world. Now, can I find one and, and, and make and put it in an aquarium in my house? You know, turtles are one of these animals that, they can be really interesting to have as pets, but you better be willing to write them into your will if you get a turtle. Um, and because turtles live a really long time, uh, we have some estimates of turtles living, you know, well beyond, you know, 75 years, 80 years or so. Freshwater turtles that may be the size of a dinner plate, they're not large animals but they live a really long time that's what I was going to ask. those are not just uh, i thought that was only maybe just me and my ignorance i only thought those was like the, the big turtles that you might see at the zoo but mm-hmm. even though like i'd say one i found in my creek mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely we could yeah. you could have turtles in your creek that are as old as your grandparents out there <laughs> yeah. uh, which which is interesting to think about um so oh and just a reminder though there are some state laws protecting native turtles right. so okay. if you want to make a pet of it Call the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks and be sure that you're following those regulations. Uh, very good point. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yep. we, we have we have to be above board, and we want to yep. protect our, uh, our our critters and we our were creatures. Richard Rommel was on a few weeks ago and reminded us that we have to. 
follow those rules about. And I know that snakes and turtles are included in in some of those okay. laws. Yeah, it's, it's called an ecosystem for a, a reason, and we don't want to disrupt it if we don't have to. Uh, let's go to our phone lines. We have David from Biloxi who wants to um, jump in on our topic of turtles this morning. Good morning, David. Good morning. Go ahead with your uh, question or comment. Man, I've got about a two-acre pond that's just full of full of turtles. I want to know, first off, what to eat. Second off, how to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> mess up our fishing, man. You can't only fish with them trying to get your bait. Well, turtles live in really high densities naturally um, because they don't require a whole heck of a lot of energy to, to make a living. Um, one of the things that, that in order to, um, to kind of know what they eat, you kind of have to know what, what critter they are. And if I had to guess, I see you're from Biloxi. You know, it's probably likely that you have red-eared sliders, the, the turtle I was just talking about. Those things eat vegetation, they eat, um, uh, they scavenge, they eat crawfish, they'll eat anything they come across. They're really good opportunistic predators. So when they get an opportunity, they're going to take it. Um, so one of the things that, if if you're thinking that you don't want them there, I, I wouldn't recommend that you feed them. Um, but um, yeah, the the biggest thing is that they have to have habitat. If 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 Animals like snakes, um, if you take away the rotten wood piles and those sorts of things, if you take away their habitat, uh, they're going to move on and find another place to go. But if he wanted to feed them, what would... You know, if you wanted to feed turtles, you could probably find any sort of of available pelletized catfish food or something like that um, to be able to, if you wanted them to, to be attracted to that rather than to your bait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I feed them fish in the pond, and buddy, they really like that for mm-hmm. sure. But uh, yeah, I guess you just put traps. You can put a floating trap or something. How, how can I? How can I get rid of them? Or am I ever going to be? Able to? Well, one of the you can. I'm sure you could call Wildlife and Fisheries, <laughs> and they could come out and do a consult with you and, and see what they can do. Um, but the one interesting thing about aquatic turtles is that even before, if you were to build a pond, even before fish would you would be able to stock fish. There would be turtles there um, because they have the ability to see polarized light, which, which in essence means that they can see light that's reflected off of water. So out in the distance, they can know that there's a body of water there and that they can migrate to that spot. So even if you were to, to, to remove those turtles that are currently there, there are other turtles that are going to be able to see that there's water there and, and, and there know go. that there's a pond there. Which is a really interesting, good. interesting behavior and ability that they have that we certainly don't have. I better learn to love them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, appreciate you calling in today, Thank David. You so much. Thanks, Dave. All right, we're going to go ahead and take our next break for the hour. We um, want to ask Mikey to continue to hold for us, and we'll get to your call when we come back. We're uh, here with Dr. Will Selman, biology professor at Millsaps College, and if you haven't guessed, he's talking about the turtles of the state. I'm Java Chapman, also here with Dr. Troy Major, ready for your pet questions, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You can join the conversation, one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the break. 
can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to the program. This is Creature Comforts. And if you miss any part of our program today, you can always listen back on podcasts. Go to our website, mpbonline.org. Subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app or downloading our MPB public media app. And just about everything we do here at MPB is on that app. We're here talking with uh, Dr. Will Selman from Millsaps College, and we're going to continue our conversation by going back to the phone lines. We have Mikey from Mobile. Uh, Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Thank you for helping me out again. Um, I I have, when I was thinking back over it, I have much longer history with turtles than I ever thought I would. Um, My specific question today is, soft-shell turtles. I remember as a child picking up a soft-shell turtle when my family was camping on the Escataba River, and uh, it was not good for, certainly not good for the turtle and not good for me. Could you please tell us stuff about, stuff about uh, soft-shell turtles? Thank you. Well, soft-shell turtles are really different than most of our re- most of the rest of our turtles. Um, they have extremely long necks. Um, so if you go to grab a soft-shell turtle, definitely grab them from the the very end of the of the shell, the, the back end of the shell, because they can whip the neck around and they deliver a pretty vicious bite. Um, most of our soft shells um, are going to be found in aquatic habitats. The only time you'll really see them out of the water are females nesting and, and laying eggs, um, and then also out, as Java mentioned earlier, basking on logs to try to get their body temperatures up. Um, and they they make a living mainly on the bottom of the river, and they're aquatic predators, so they're going to sort of burrow down underneath the sand a good bit of, bit of the time and, and wait for an unsuspecting fish or something like that to come along. Uh, so again, they're these opportunistic predators that they're going to look for any chance that they get. Uh, and they love those really clear uh, flowing streams like the Escatapa, real sandy. Those are great spots to find soft shells. Um, and, and, and certainly we can have two, we have two different types, the smooth soft shell that are mainly in flowing waters. Uh, so flowing rivers and streams. And then we have spiny soft shells. We can find those in rivers and streams too, but also in ponds as well. Are there any identifying marks, I guess, between the soft shell turtle and other turtles? That's a that's a good good question. So you don't want to get bit. <laughs> yeah. So the soft shell turtles are almost like a pancake. They're really flattened, and their shells are leathery, rather than that hard shell, domed shell that we see. These are really flattened, leathery type shells, and very flexible. And they can't pull their head in. I've speculated that's why they're so much more prone to bite you. They can't protect themselves any other way, really. Yeah, so they can't pull their head quite uh-uh. all the way uh-uh. in. Um, and are. then to differentiate between the two, we have the spiny soft shell, which has these spiny points on the, the front part of the shell, almost conical points. And then the smooth soft shell, of course, is nice and smooth on the front. Kind of think of them as a uh, turtle flounder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's okay. the sort of existence they live. Okay. They're flattened out. They do have a, obviously a long neck and and head. I, we've had several. I've seen them over the years. You know, you see them 
as you say, the females out nesting. Uh, but uh, it's uh, they're most unusual. But they, uh, that's how I kind of think of them as a flounder. That's a great. That's, <laughs> and they are extremely fast too. Everybody gets the idea yeah. that turtles aren't fast. Uh, this this summer and last summer, going down the Pearl River, seeing soft shells running into the water, uh, <laughs> they can they can move at pretty pretty fast pace. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. We have uh, Brenda from Poplarville on the line. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning. What's Good your question this morning? Well, I wanted uh, box turtles addressed. I, I love all turtles and especially box turtles, and I think a lot of people don't realize. Uh, they don't reproduce till they're 12 years old or so, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, their habitat is generally about 300 yards from where they hatch, and I see so many people deliberately run over them, and it makes me sick. We had one in our yard for several years. We'd see around uh, egg-laying time and had started seeing her this year and, and got home one afternoon and someone had killed her in the road. Uh, so, and to my knowledge, they do not harm anything. They are not the, like the red ear sliders. I know people hate them because they think they interfere with the fish in a pond. But please just address box turtles and try to let people know that they shouldn't be killed. And I, I think actually in some parts of the country, they, they're just about extinct from people taking them from the wild for pets and also running over them. And I'll hang up and listen to your response. Okay, that's a that's a great call, and I appreciate um, all the comments. Yeah, box turtles are these uh, sorts of animals that have well-defined home ranges. And uh, a home range meaning that it's, it, it gets everything that it need, needs throughout its annual life cycle in this one area. And that area can be two acres. It may be 20 acres. Uh, but it's, a, it's pretty well defined. Um, and and it, when, when we build a road through a forest or something like that, we could unintentionally build roads through these home ranges of, of box turtles. Um, so we have – we certainly have uh, – the the potential for for road kills and um, because box turtles even though they have that really nice shell that they can uh, tighten up in it's no match for for a, a car tire um, and and yes there are uh, up in the northeast there are certain states that they're on the endangered species list the state endangered species list because of um, lots of development uh, and people collect them as pets. Uh, and people, you know, unintentionally run over them, and sometimes intentionally, unfortunately. Uh, but these animals are are sort of these long term stewards, I guess, of the forest. That they're they're out there making a living. Uh, they're eating earthworms and and other uh, vegetables. Uh, so uh, they'll eat wild fruits, blackberries, those sorts of things when they get to be an adult. Um, juveniles more carnivorous, eating eating uh, insects and, and earthworms and those sorts of things. So they uh, they make a good living out there, and and uh, if we give them give them a chance, if we uh, give them keep the keep the forest, give them give them their habitat. Um, if you see one on the road, um, certainly take care of yourself and don't put yourself in danger. But if you see one in the road. Uh, put it off the side of the road uh, in the direction that it's facing. Don't take it and move it somewhere that you think it would be more safe because that's its home range. That's where it's been living, you know, potentially 50 or 60 years. 
So if you move it, it may try to home back to its home range and in, in the end cut across three roads and maybe get hit. So if you see one on the road, just move it off to the side that it's facing because there's probably forest on either side, and that's that's its home. Yeah, and um, why, I guess we talked about the um, turtles like it, that were endangered um, and threatened. Um, are the box turtles on the list? They're not on the list. Is um, because they're so plentiful? Well, they're, they're, I would call them very local. If you, in, if you have the right sort of habitat um, and you have the right sort of forest and you don't have all of these threats to them, you know, they're going to be there. Um, but they're, they're certainly not as plentiful as they were, um, you know, 50 years ago. Um, we don't have box turtles just roaming around all over the place. But you can still find them in a neighborhood potentially um and and certainly in um in nice uh what we call mesic hardwood forest that's a a term for sort of a, a hardwood forest that has a little bit of uh of water it's not really wet like a floodplain it's not really dry yeah cuz one one of the joys of, of i guess my childhood was finding just finding a turtle and taking it to my mom and she just like get that thing out of here you know and i wait i wait on my son to just come up to me one day and say daddy it's a turtle and it's like okay go put it back <laughs> but why why is mississippi um so plentiful with turtles i guess we just have a ripe so it's a good mississippi soil <laughs> we have the the neat thing about mississippi is that we are at the center of what we call a turtle biodiversity hotspot so there are three of these hot spots in the world where there's just a lot of diversity. One is in the southeastern U.S., one is in uh, sort of the Ganges uh, River system in India, and another is in South America. Uh, but we have right here in the Jackson area, if we count Lafleur's Bluff and the Pearl River, uh, within a uh, you know a half a mile radius, we could potentially have 12, 13, 14 different species of turtles. Um, so the thing that drives that is all the different habitats that we have. We have uh, rivers that drain into the Tennessee River. We have rivers that drain in the Mississippi. We have the Pascagoula. We have the Pearl. All of these have their own little unique group of species that are found in those rivers. And then we also have the longleaf pine forest of South Mississippi uh, that has the gopher tortoise. We have um, sort of the uplands uh, that have box turtles. So we have a good mix of of habitats and we have a good mix of rivers that flow in different directions that have their own unique set of of turtles okay well we're going to go ahead and take our last break for the hour but when we come back we i do want to uh, talk a little bit about the one lake project and uh, how it impacts the pearl river and uh, associated wetlands so if you want to join the conversation before the end of the hour one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four sitting here talking with dr will selman about the turtles of mississippi also dr majors here for any pet questions you may have You're listening to Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. And if you ever miss... um, anything on mpb think radio but today we're talking about creature comforts you can listen back on the podcast mpbonline.org subscribe using any 
podcast app or list, uh, download our MPB Public Media app, and you can catch up that way as well. We're talking with Dr. Will Selman from Mississippi College. And uh, before the break, I did say that we were going to talk about uh, the One Lake Project and uh, the impacts to the Pearl River. You're doing your studies at the Pearl River now. And uh, talk about, I guess, the One Lake Project and what that's going to bring. So this is a uh, project that is slated for uh, just a little bit north of Lakeland to downstream of Interstate 20. It's about a 1,500-acre lake project that is proposed to deepen and widen the Pearl for flood control purposes as well as economic development. Um, But one of the things that that we found in our research um, on the Pearl is that um, even though this part of the Pearl in Jackson has been altered, it's been channelized, and they've pulled out a lot of the snags that turtles bask on, there's still a lot of turtles in there. Um, and still, you know, maybe well over a thousand of the federally threatened ring sawback species that are found in the stretch that's proposed for this, this lake. And it's not just old grandparent turtles that are just kind of hanging on. We also have really little guys. So we know that they're reproducing in this stretch as well. Um, so this is a, this is a concern, uh, for biologists because whenever you take a flowing river and you change it to a lake, it's essentially altering the habitat. It's like taking a hardwood forest and cutting it down and planting a, a, a row crop. It's completely changing the habitat. So we're, I think, if if we do this, we're going to lose these river-adapted species over time. They may hang on for a little while. We still see some ring sawbacks over at Crystal Lake, but it's not a lot. Um, so we're going to have, over time, as this lake... Uh, uh, slows water down, we're going to have those really common red-eared sliders that move in because they're really good at that lake sort of habitat. So we're going to lose a lot of these really specialized riverine species and in favor of really common lake-type species, which you can find just about anywhere in the state. Yeah, a river body of water is not a lake body of water. Exactly. And it, like you say, it's kind of changing the habitat. Uh, what about What about the flooding? So we have one of the interesting things about the Pearl is that we have this pretty wide floodplain. Um, and, and the Pearl through time has always flooded. Um, the magnitude has, has changed, but you know, from December to May, we're going to have the Pearl flood probably once or twice and flood meaning that it come out of its banks. Um, so, so the floodplain acts so the cypress swamps and the bottomland hardwood forest, all of that acts like a sponge to help soak up floodwaters. And when we when we take away those um, those sponge type habitats, if we develop in the floodplain, we're we're taking away the ability for the the surrounding habitat to absorb all of that extra water. So in time, we're going to lose some of that ability. Um, if we take away these wetlands to be able to buffer flooding. Um, And, you know, we don't really know what sort of events are going to happen in the future. That's the one thing. Uh, If we look back in the last couple of years, we can see the flooding in Houston, the flooding in Baton Rouge, that these were one in a thousand year events. Um, The Amit River crested five feet above its previous recorded high. So, you know, if we think about the 79 flood and we think about 
the potential <laughs> of five feet above the 79 flood, we're talking about catastrophic flooding for downtown Jackson, regardless of whether there's a lake there or not. Um, so, you know, flooding is going to happen. We just have to develop the right way and develop smartly on, on upland areas, just like the founders of Jackson were settled on the floors bluff, the highest part around. Um, they didn't have the river science that we have now. Um, and they knew where the best place to develop was. Now I was, I was born in 84. So remind me about the 79 flood. No, this is fun. But, uh, you talked uh, uh, important about these, these wetlands. I guess it's just a, a nice cradle for, um, these turtles and, and, and just the proper environment. And you have to be careful when you want to make those type of changes. Right. And, and not only, so I'm sort of more of an ecologist, so I study turtles, but, we have lots of important aspects of the wetlands too that that people usually don't think about. They're a great nursery for for spawning fish. Uh, our catfish go in there to spawn. They they leave and then next year the river comes up and those young catfish move out back out into the river. Uh, they're great rookeries for some of our wading birds. Um, so things like egrets and herons are going to be found in these cypress swamps because they have alligators that are around that are kind of protecting the rookery from any raccoons or things like that that might climb up the trees and grab the eggs. Um, so, so we have a lot of really neat aspects and the, the more we learn about wetlands, the more we're going to, we're going to learn about their importance, uh, and not only to, to, to animals, but also to us, these sort of what we call ecological services, these things that they provide at no cost to us. So, you know, we could have potentially three to $5,000 per acre that uh, each acre of wetland provides for flood mitigation. So that's, that's a cost that we don't have to, to pay. They're just doing it because that's, that's what wetlands do. And I know when you said that three to $5,000, some people ears perked up because, you know, when you start talking money, people will listen, well, this listen is, a little different. This is money that the landowners can't gain. This is, this is money that we save by not having to pay extra premiums and flood insurance because we have wetlands that, that are, that are absorbing those floods. If we take, a, take those away, then that's going to be costly to us um, for insurance premiums. We're going to have to build, our houses on pilings, these sorts of things to, to avoid flooding. Now we've been talking about the turtles and before we get out of here, we only have a, about a minute and a half. Um, what should someone do? I know you said in the LaFleur's Bluff area, you have some of the turtles with the, with the jet packs on their back. Uh, <laughs> what should someone do if they find a turtle and they don't, they just aren't, I guess, uh, unsure of what type of turtle is it endangered? Is it threatened? Should I keep it? Should I not keep it? What, what, what is somebody, what should somebody do? Well, as, as Libby said, first, you know, think about um, the the laws of the state. Um, you want to make sure that everybody is doing what they need to do legally. Um, but the best thing to do is take a photograph of it. Take a photograph of it. Um, and, yeah. You know, every cell phone people are carrying around has a camera on it. Take a photograph of it. Look at your photograph. Look at some of the ID, uh, the identifying characteristics, stripes on the head, the markings on the shell. Uh, to figure out what it is, um, and then we can, then you can kind of think, okay, well, is this something that is um, much better off us leaving it in its natural habitat, us enjoying it as a wild animal, or you know, is it a really maybe a really common species that may do well in a tank? 
And uh, if you get those pictures, you can always send them to us. We welcome your wildlife sightings uh, to our email, animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Simon, I want to thank you again for uh, being here. It's going to wrap up our program. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded in part by generous contributions from listeners like you. To hear, today, to hear today's show or previous shows, visit mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app. Today's show was engineered by Michelle McAdoo. And for Dr. Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Dr. Will Selman, I'm Java Chapman. Up next is our Thursday 10 a.m. show, MPB Season Pass with Jay White. And tune in next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.